electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. We are taking a long look at China, the world's second largest economy, and a flashpoint in the debate on how far corporations can weigh in on politics. The country's ruling elite handing its president an unprecedented third term. Michelle Caruso Cabrera, Council on Foreign Relations member, joins us. Is there any evidence that Xi Jinping has lost any grip on power or is he consolidating power? And there is no evidence... Yale leadership expert Jeffrey Sonnenfeld. Should CEOs be standing up when complex geopolitics are at stake? China is not the same thing as Russia, Iran, or North Korea. I don't know anybody who says corporations have to take on every social issue. And critic of so-called woke capitalism and its inconsistencies, Vivek Ramaswamy. Now we're in the worst of all worlds where companies get appointed with this moral patina. Plus, first, Joe, Becky, and Andrew with all the headlines that got us squawking. When you're in the teens of October, you get scary. And about face in the UK. Completely undoing everything that was set forward and redoing that budget. Reorg season at Goldman Sachs and at Fox. I think you're going to see a massive food fight over the next couple of weeks and months. And the metaverse is not so busy yet. If you add up Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, together have about three and a half billion users, and that's half more than half the population of the world. It's Monday, October 17th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. For the month of October so far, the Dow is now up 3%. The S&P 500's flat and the NASDAQ is down by about 2.5%. Of course, if you're looking from the all-time highs, the Dow is down 19.8% off of its all-time high. The S&P is off by about 25% from its high. And then you've got the NASDAQ, which has been the hardest hit. It's down 36% as uh, the higher higher Treasury yields have really hit technology. Meantime, let's talk about the British pound this morning because it is rising overnight. Let's show you where things stand after new UK finance minister Jeremy Hunt announced that he would move up policy announcements to today. Good morning. A central response. No government can control markets, but every government can give certainty about the sustainability of public finances. Urabile Gumede joins us now from London with the latest. Uh, hello again, Urabile. I won't say good morning because I, I don't know. Too early to do the math. <laughs> it certainly has been quite a, a, a tumultuous time, if you want to call it that, right? And I think the message is certainly clear that economic stability needs to be a part of the foray here. And that is exactly what uh, Jeremy Hunt, the new UK finance minister, the freshly minted UK finance minister who has been in office then uh, since Friday, has tried to do. Stability. Firstly, we will reverse almost all the tax measures announced in the growth plan three weeks ago that have not started parliamentary legislation. It's a time when markets are rightly demanding commitment to sustainable public finances. It is not right to borrow to fund this tax cut. So I've decided that the basic rate of income tax will remain at 20%. 
the interesting elements here and the, the different parts of it are certainly around taxes, uh, which continue. That means basic income tax will still remain at around uh, 20% or so. Uh, the corporate tax, which they had announced just last week, uh, in order to not raise that, that will now still be raised to that initial 25%. Uh, Jeremy Hunt saying then that it is unfair to borrow money in order to fund these tax cuts, even though he still believes in uh, having competitive taxes, as it were. Truss's spokesperson, the UK Prime Minister, saying that uh, she held a political cabinet call uh, at 10 this morning as well. Uh, government is committed to the growth agenda, as a note that they've consistently been saying. And the finance minister told cabinet that because of a worsening global economic situation, government is adjusting its program while remaining committed to the long-term reforms, but completely undoing everything that was set forward then by Kwasi Kwarteng, the former UK finance minister and Liz Truss, on September 23rd, and redoing somewhat uh, a bit of that budget. October 31st is when the medium-term fiscal plan was meant to be brought forward. It was effectively half brought forward today, and we're now expecting Jeremy Hunt to put forward a little bit more of a statement to uh, members of Parliament here at the House of Commons behind me. That's set to happen in a few hours' time. At the same time, we are expecting him to also answer a few questions then uh, from members of Parliament. It's going to get uh, very interesting, and I think the only thing still to ask is whether that credibility has now been gained and is this U-turn enough for markets to feel a sense of stability? I guess we'll know. We'll know soon enough, Erbile. Thanks. Appreciate that. China's uh, President uh, Xi Jinping spoke yesterday. It was the opening ceremony of the Communist Party's National Congress held every uh, five years. Now, please allow me to invite General Secretary Xi Jinping to give a report. He began his remarks with an emphasis on China's national rejuvenation and opposition to Taiwan independence. He used the terms security or safety 89 times, up from 55 times that he used it in his 2017 address. Since its founding a century ago, the Communist Party of China has taken a remarkable journey. What is it, October? Uh, it's not the 20th. It's yet, the 17th either. today. It's my niece's birthday. Happy birthday, Parker. Happy birthday. Thursday. You know, when you're in the teens of October, you get scary. Remember Thursday? We're down 500, closed up 800. That almost made Friday okay, didn't it? Because I didn't get scared over. But I didn't get scared over the weekend because we closed right on the lows of the S&P 3585. You know what's a little weird though is you get used to these three, four, 500 point swings, and it doesn't phase you anymore. And that tells you how much more volatile things have gotten. And we're up for the month of December or October with the Dow. Yeah. S&P's flat, okay. NASDAQ is down everything a little bit. all. We had that, that was a bad inflation number. Yes. I, it, that was a shocking, a shocking turn of events on Thursday when we got that lousy number <laughs> yeah. and things really turned around. Goldman Sachs planning a major reorganization to three different divisions. According to uh, the Wall Street Journal this morning, they're reporting that the bank will now combine its flagship investment banking and trading businesses into one unit while merging its asset and wealth management into another 
The consumer banking arm known as Marcus will then be part of the wealth management unit. A third division will house what they're calling transaction banking. That's fintech platforms and ventures with Apple and General Motors. The reorganization, I should say, could be announced within days. Goldman Sachs is scheduled to report its third quarter results tomorrow. And we imagine we will be, perhaps be hearing about this reorg and more because we've got an exclusive interview coming up with the company's CEO, David Solomon, that after that report comes out. So we'll hopefully be able to talk to him about those numbers and, of course, the future of the firm. And uh, this has happened before. Rupert Murdoch, not with him, but they take things apart, put them back together. Apparently looking to combine News Corp and Fox back together into one publicly traded company. Again, this would recreate the media giant that he split apart nine years ago. And the move would consolidate power in the hands of his son, Lachlan, who currently serves as a CEO of Fox. The proposed recombination would reunite the parent of Fox News with that of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post. And the boards of both companies have established the committees to evaluate a possible uh, deal. Originally, they split it off because News Corp was supposed to have the slower growing assets. I guess the theory now is they're a smaller company. You want to put them back well, together. Well, it's really the right. Right now, if you look yeah. at just the multiples, and I don't know if you'd want this deal, and I actually think that it's possible the shareholders will vote this deal down. I don't think people, and the reporting has been uh, accurate enough. This is a transaction that is not ultimately controlled by the Murdoch family. This is a transaction that will ultimately be controlled by the minority of the majority. And technically, the Murdochs own only about 13% in terms of the vote, and it would go to, it would go to them. If you think about News Corp, they're trading right now at a, basically a seven times multiple. Mm -hmm. You're looking at, and then if you turn it around and you look at where Fox is, they're trading like a four times multiple. So in some ways, you could argue that News Corp would be standing up Fox, not the other way around. I don't know if people are going to see synergies in this. At the moment, it looks like the only real synergies are in sort of, you know. Size. Well, size and no, just getting rid of uh, management I, and I things thought, like that. And potentially you could argue that maybe Dow Jones, the Wall Street Journal, from a consumer brand, brand focused business could combine with, you know, Fox business or something like that. But after that, that I'm not sure that there's particular synergies in this transaction. And I think there's a decent chance that you're going to see uh, the shareholders actually say, no, we don't want to do this or the special committee say, no, we, we don't want to do this. There's also this separate piece that's actually worth talking about, which is people don't see in News Corp, beyond the Wall Street Journal and Dow Jones, there's, this, there's the equivalent of like a Zillow in there uh, that's worth something like six or seven billion dollars. Um, that unto itself, uh, there are some activists uh, who've gone to the company saying that that should be spun out. What is so there's, there's a whole bunch of businesses inside News Corp and there's, there's a whole sort of uh, Venn diagram of things that could happen to this. But I think the idea that somehow the Murdochs are just going to slam these two companies together. And you can understand why they'd want to. I, I yeah. certainly understand why, because well, Fox was a very small but sort But there's, of an there's, also, there's also a voting issue, which is you, if you're Lachlan, you want to do this now while your father is alive. Right. Because if you think about how the family trusts work, it gets much more complicated. If you're because relying the, on your the siblings, other kids will have, No, the other kids will have a lot more voting later. So there's yeah. sort of a rationale towards the timing of why you do that now. Because of, otherwise he'd have to split it with the three siblings who have a vote. Who, and who yeah. very well may not want to yeah. want, want to pursue a transaction like this. What's the, the business that's the equivalent of a Zillow that's wrapped up? This in was it? a business they bought, I think it was called Moving out of Australia originally, but it's a huge business in, in Europe and um, uh, in, in Australia. 
it's a publicly traded company and they own a huge chunk of it, so you can actually just do the math off of what it is, but people don't talk about and that. And activists are already kind of looking at that? Activists have already been pushing uh, privately. In fact, there's a report out this morning uh, in the New York Times about the activists that had been pushing on that piece, of, uh, that piece of it. So we'll see where people land on this. But I think just the idea that, oh, the Murdochs are doing this, therefore it's a fait accompli, mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a massive food fight uh, over the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, and just to follow up with you, uh, the, the company that I was talking about, it's called REA Group. It's worth $5.7 billion. It's a publicly traded company in Australia uh, that runs real estate advertising, almost like a Zillow-like situation in Australia, but also in Europe and all sorts of other parts of the world. They own 61.4% of it. Wow. Which is actually a huge part, part of their company now that people just talk about. People talk about which, which Collins, one? Fo Fox does or News yeah. Corp? Uh, 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 News Corp. Okay. Rupert's 91. Seems fine, though. But maybe that's part of the reason it's got a higher valuation. It's trading a, a seven multiple instead of a four. No, the it's seven like multiple is actually, I think, much, much more aligned with the subscription piece of how actually successful the Wall Street Journal has been. Yeah. If you look at their multiple, frankly, against the New York Times company, it's actually much lower and probably arguably could be higher given how sticky their it's subscription the business multiple. has been. Meta's Horizon Worlds, that's the flagship metaverse for consumers, is failing to meet internal performance expectations. That's according to a Wall Street Journal article that cited internal documents. It said that the transition to the metaverse faces setbacks from glitchy technology, uninterested users, and a lack of clarity about what it will take to succeed. Meta initially set a goal of reaching 500,000 monthly active users by the end of the year, but recently revised that figure to just 280,000. The documents show that the current tally is less than 200,000. According to internal statistics, only 9% of the worlds that are built by creators are ever visited by at least 50 people. Most are never visited at all. A Meta spokesperson told the journal that the company's metaverse efforts are, were always intended to be a multi-year project and the company continues to believe it's the future of computing. One of the statistics in that Wall Street Journal article that, that really kind of struck, struck home was that the social media products that Meta has, if you add up Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, together have about 3.5 billion users, month, average monthly users, and that's half more than half the population of the world. If you were to just look at Horizon, it reaches less than the population of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Well, yeah. We're just going back out the world. Some of the world still isn't, I guess. But oh, into the real world. Yeah, the real yeah. world's pretty good. <laughs> yes. Things actually happen in, in the real world, and we're just going back out. I don't want to, we don't want to go back in. Michael Burry, who called the housing crisis back in 2008, tweeted over the weekend that, uh, that Meta has a new Coke problem. Um, oh, I saw this tweet. Could you, you retweeted it. I retweeted and responded, you know, except for that Coca-Cola, the Coca-Cola company never changed its, its name to New Coke Corporation. I mean, changing well, the entire name of the company Coke around this. New Coke Zero, which is it. like New Coke, and it's not. There's only one thing that tastes like Coke, and that's Coke. And I've started drinking it very, in, in complete moderation. Like, what are those small bottles? The, the teeny tiny eight-ounce tiny, The eight-ounces, I, I take two days to drink one of those. Because there's a, it's 140 calories. Yeah. I mean, nobody needs just... Sure, but it's so good, and it makes you feel better <laughs> at times. Come, you know, depending on what you've done before the. Meta shares down more than sixty percent over the last year. Cheese will be next. 
Next, on Squawk Pod, Xi Jinping, the most powerful Chinese leader in generations, speaking to the Communist Party Congress. Michelle Caruso Cabrera, CNBC contributor and Council on Foreign Relations member, on China's power to shape the rest of the world. I think you will see ever more capital controls coming out of the United States as long as the tonality of Xi Jinping remains like we have seen in this speech. Plus, what's next across the pond? Is Liz Trust going to survive? Almost not relevant. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. We're going to uh, talk about China right now because President Xi Jinping kicking off his party's week-long Congress. He's calling for faster military development and showing no signs of... Uh, trying to heal trade tensions with Washington and the West. For more on all of this, let's bring in Council on Foreign Relations member Michelle Caruso Cabrera, who is also a CNBC contributor. And Michelle, just watching um, kind of what's laid out here, it's hard to follow some of this. Look, what people were watching for in this party Congress was, is there any evidence that Xi Jinping has lost any grip on power or is he consolidating power? And there is no evidence that he has lost any power, that in fact he is now officially a strong man. Why would that matter to the U.S. markets? There was some hope that maybe there would be some loosening, that maybe we would see some increase in reforms, which would mean China could start to grow again in the way that we had grown used to it over decades. Uh, But he has pushed back reforms. The, The control of capital is driven by the party rather than by the markets. Even the New York Times blog, as they live blog Xi Jinping's speech on Saturday night, they said he referred to Marxism way more than he referred to markets. Now, this was pretty much priced in. If there had been something that showed that he had less consolidation on power, you might actually see a positive effect on the U.S. markets. But that's not going to happen. This is expected. Chinese market is trading very cheap. I was just back from the IMF meetings, and they say... Listen, it's a trading market now, not an investment market. Weird today, though, that the semiconductor stocks in China up 9-10% for a lot of those stocks. I I don't know what message they took out of that. I guess they've been beaten up pretty badly. They've been beaten up very badly. And I I think also as well, maybe perhaps the local chip stocks may get some support from the, uh, the government of Xi Jinping because I think you will see ever more capital controls coming out of the United States as long as the tonality of Xi Jinping remains like we have seen in this speech. I think it's a coincidence that China has now put off its reporting of third quarter GDP that numbers that it was supposed to do tomorrow. Really unusual step. Yeah, just an hour ago that news broke. Two yeah. things happened in the last hour. One, they announced that they're not going to release the GDP numbers. Nobody's gotten an explanation as to <laughs> Probably why. Probably because they stink. <laughs> and then CNBC.com just posted about 20 minutes ago a story saying that uh, somebody from the finance ministry has come out and said, 
We're no longer focused on high-speed growth. We're now focused on high-quality growth. And I heard at the IMF meetings last week that now there's this growing assumption in China that 2% growth is what they're going to get. 2%. Remember, we were used to the days of 8%. Growth. Right. Right. I guess that happens as your economy gets bigger and as you get into these squabbles with other countries. Choices, right? right. As and you, you get also into squabbles. Make very bad choices. Right. Zero COVID has been a very bad economic choice. The decision that, remember, for 30 years under Deng Xiaoping, the party was receding. The Communist Party was receding. Xi Jinping comes back into power, and you hear Kevin Rudd say it all the time. He's a Marxist Leninist. What does that mean? The party is in charge, the economy is now think, subservient to the do you party. Think the, the COVID policy is going to change after this? Because from my read of it, it doesn't sound like it will. And right. I think there was an expectation, perhaps, that it might. Yeah, the, uh, what, what I've been reading is that maybe in 2023 it might change. Um, so, uh, you know, why they want to continue with that. One, one explanation I've it's heard is It's actually not too far away. That's two and a half months from now. The be. elderly are very unwilling to take vaccines in China. So if you have a spread of COVID, the death rate goes up a lot. And because they have so many people, 1.4 billion people, even a small percentage of people dying is a very large It might number. help if you had better vaccines that were actually a if little more effective. If you actually allowed the import of uh, the mRNA, yeah. which is much more effective than right. Sinovac. Well, you know, oh, I was Go just going to ask, people seem to uh, take, I don't know if they were reading into it, he was sipping tea, he was coughing, all, did you right. see this? This yeah. is, um, you know, it's so interesting, it's like the old days of Kremlinology, <laughs> who's standing where? Who did this? Where did they do this? I, you know, I, I, yeah, I saw that. I don't know what it means. Is it I mean, really Putin or is it his standard? <laughs> is it, right. What about Taiwan? Any, what, how do you They're very bellicose it? on Taiwan. Everybody expected him to be bellicose on Taiwan. Yeah. Um, as long as that continues, that means that the chances of more reaction from the U.S. government, uh, you know, are on the rise. So, you know, not market positive. You're, you're just coming from the IMF, yep. as you mentioned a couple of times, usually you're focused or the IMS was focused on some of the developing nations as you're right. there. This time it was the UK that had to be front this, and center. This is astounding. So the IMF World Bank meetings all last week, highly populated by people from the emerging markets, traders, investors. You know, you don't see investment bankers going to the IMF meetings all that often, right? I get there. And they are all trading the UK, pounds and gilts. These are people who normally trade Sri Lanka, Argentina, Colombia. And they are all extremely skeptical about what's going on in the UK. Now, what happened this morning with Jerry Munnett, what's happening right now as yeah. he speaks, are very good signs. He's said all the right things, but most of them think it's probably not going to be enough for one simple reason. that e Why would EM traders have so much conviction compared to everybody else? They all say, ah. We've seen this movie before. I'm going to use a phrase that a former boss of ours told me and Steve Leisman we were never allowed to say because it's so boring and unfathomable. Oh, but, good. The, but the United <laughs> Kingdom has a large current account deficit. They import way more than they export. That is because of the soaring cost of energy. Yeah. One data point you need to know. We had a manager people, that knew what a current account deficit was? He didn't. That's why he didn't want oh, us to okay. use it. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> God, you're shocking but, me. So Who would that have been? Just one data point. Even if you don't know what it means. Investors get nervous when your current account deficit hits 6%. Even before this new budget by Liz Trust was announced, it was at 8% in the UK, and she was trying to make it go to 15%. Boom. That's what led to everything that you saw. Now, this cutting all the, you know, eliminating all the tax cuts, yeah. that's a good first step. Cut, you know, they're going to have to cut spending in some way. They're probably going to have to cut energy spending well, in who, some way. Well, and who's in charge now? Is it Liz Truss or is it Jeremy Hunt? Oh, the I markets guess are in charge. Right. The markets are in charge. A lot of people, and Jeremy well, Hunt is, Liz, is talking to the markets. Right, He's right. Going is to Liz Truss going to survive? 
almost not relevant. Yeah. Are they going to take the moves? The central bank will have to tighten. The, weakency, the currency will have to weaken. They will have to cut spending. They will have to eliminate tax. They might have to raise taxes. Same boss who told us not to use CDOs. <laughs> I'm thinking. I need to know. It could be. It could be. About, it was about that time. Because yeah. it would have been about the same time we were worried about the current account deficits. We'll trade notes. We'll trade notes yeah. after this. Michelle, it thank It could you. be any one of 25 people for me. Coming up on Squawk Pod, politics and global issues in the boardroom. Who's speaking up against China, a very different system from the West? Who isn't? And what it says about democracy and capitalism. Author Vivek Ramaswamy. This is part of China's strategy where when companies repeatedly criticize the U.S. without criticizing China, that creates a false moral equivalence between the two countries, and that erodes our greatest geopolitical asset of all. A heated debate on what's best for markets and what's best for America. Guys, we're going to have a food fight, and people need to be able to hear each other. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Now, we're continuing our breakdown of President Xi Jinping's speech at the Chinese Communist Party Congress over the weekend. But where we go from here, it's not what you think. This conversation is all about the role U.S. companies play in what happens around the world. Who should stand up for what? When? And do those stances, moral ones, ethical ones, affect a company's bottom line? For this angle, we turn to leadership expert Jeff Sonnenfeld, a senior associate dean at the Yale School of Management, and Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a critic of wokeness in the corporate world. Vivek is an entrepreneur himself, but he may be best known for his many op-eds on what he calls corporate America's social justice scam, and his New York Times bestseller, Woke Inc., that explores the same topic. Vivek Ramaswamy and Professor Jeff Sonnenfeld both run in the corporate leadership and capitalism big think crowd, but what you're about to hear is the first meeting of their minds on live TV. And it gets heated. Here's Andrew. Welcome back to Squawk Box. Uh, President Xi making the case for a third term as companies, uh, governments, and the public look for some signs of What's to come is China's economy is in a slump and tensions continue between the U.S. and other Asian nations. Corporations in America weighing in on the pressures of ESG. Joining us right now is Vivek Ramaswamy. He's the co-founder and chairman, executive chairman of Strive and Yale School of Management. Jeff Sonnenfeld He's also a CNBC contributor. I imagine a debate is going to be had here. Uh, Vivek, no. I'm, I'm very curious what you thought of, of, of what President Xi said over the weekend. But perhaps more importantly, what you think American companies, and I know you have uh, taken issue with American companies spoken out historically about issues here in the United States, but have not taken issue with some of the things going on in China. What do you think those companies are supposed to be doing, saying or not? So, look, I think we are now in the worst of all worlds where you could have a principled position where someone like Jeff or anyone else might say that companies should engage on all social issues, including those in China. I would say that companies should not engage on any social issues and should focus on making great products and services for their customers. But right now, the worst of all worlds is when companies obsess over microscopic social issues here at home without saying a peep in China. And Andrew, what that does 
is that it creates companies as the new class of the international arbiters of moral justice. And when those companies repeatedly critique the US without saying a peep about China, that creates a false moral equivalence between the US and China, creating this idea that China is actually no worse than the United States in its actions. And you can mark my words, the 300 plus companies that ceremoniously cut their ties with Russia when Vladimir Putin made his move on Ukraine will not say a word to condemn China as Xi Jinping goes for Taiwan. And I believe this weekend's milestone starts the clock on when he might do that. And this is, I think, all part of China's long run plan. And that is how you get to the otherwise farcical world in which US companies like Chevron have to adopt emissions caps while PetroChina does not or while U.S. companies like Apple are forced to obsess about racial equity, while companies say nothing about actual human rights atrocities in Shenzhen. Let's get Jeff into this conversation. Jeff, is the hypocrisy worse than taking these steps in countries like Russia and others that you have called for? No, uh, I I don't see any hypocrisy here. I do see a lot of Commercial Oh, Jeff, even I will tell you there's hypocrisy. Wait a minute. I, well, I, you I would say you? there's hypocrisy. I could make the argument, Jeff, for you that maybe it's better to, to still take these steps in certain places where you can, even if you can't take them in other places. But, but Jeff, there's well, hypocrisy here. Andrew, you're, you're, welcome, you're welcome to join uh, 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 Vivek on this. But uh, unfortunately, uh, I welcome you both to the social impact field. Uh, looking at corporate social impact is not a new topic. We've been at this for a half a century. The Business Roundtable was founded, focused on this. George Weyerhaeuser, the great timber baron, said we've got a license to operate from society. We violate the terms of it. It can be, it can be, uh, it can be revoked. Uh, in fact, my first book on this 40 years ago was on corporate views of the public interest. What's pathetic is I think I, I still look like that, is, is that this is not a new, a new topic. What's new is people trying with grandiosity and commercial opportunism trying to attack CEOs for doing the right thing. is uh, China is not the same thing as Russia, Iran, or, or North Korea. If you put up a spectrum of companies in terms of uh, where the political risks are, they're not the same. They're not, they're nuances here. We're creating straw men that don't make sense. I don't know anybody who says that corporations have to take on every social issue. That slippery slope argument is a canard. It's ridiculous. It's like saying, uh, you know, a hospital that has COVID cases and a, a surge of flu and then a, a bad weekend of traffic accidents and then gunshots. Oh, that's enough. We're no more patients. No, you have triage. Companies have to decide which issues make sense to them. When Michael Dell and his team and his board sit down, they take a look at what's the impact on this company? Where do our employees, where are critical stakeholders? What's our public policy position? This companies have uh, maps. They have rubrics to take a look at when to engage. With China, hey, it's different, quite different than Russia. Russia has gone into a sovereign nation, slaughtered 30,000 civilians. That's a little bit different. But you know what? We did see that in the fashion industry, 100% of global apparel makers, including the US, pulled out of Xinjiang province. Well, that was pretty powerful. It was 80% of of the cotton that that was coming out of China was coming out of Xinjiang, it's great cotton. Nobody's buying it anymore. But it makes sense because of the forced labor there. You pick your issues. China's not done anything right Vivek, now. What, what, what do you think of the idea of, of this idea that you get to pick your issues and that the, the argument around hypocrisy, as, as, much, as, as much hypocrisy as there may be, that we're better off speaking out on moral issues in, in places where you can, even if in the other places you might not be able to? 
So, so look, I think that this is really interesting. Jeff's position surprises me a little bit. When you take a look at the behavior of a company like Disney that will wax eloquent in the state of Florida about transgender education for first graders, but does not say a peep as it goes to the Shenzhen province of China to film Mulan, literally ground zero of the Uyghur human rights crisis, where there are over one million religious minorities enslaved in concentration camps, subject to forced sterilization, communist indoctrination, and worse, in some of the worst atrocities committed by a major nation since the early part of the last century. the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy that you're saying these things which are terrible. We're all agreeing on TV they're terrible. And you're saying, actually, you know what? Everybody should just shut up about everything. Well, no, here's what I'm saying is in a world in which companies were not the international arbiters of moral justice, they would not come out of it smelling like a rose. But now we're in the worst of all worlds where companies get appointed with this moral patina because they're ceremoniously pulling out of Russia, because they're ceremoniously decrying racial injustice like Nike does here at home without actually addressing the macroaggressions on the global stage. And Andrew, this is part of China's strategy. That is what people are missing, is that the CCP builds a great Chinese wall if you apply constraints in China or if you criticize the CCP. But if you criticize the United States, they will roll out the red carpet. And that is why multinational here, companies, Vivek, it's worse the, than hypocrisy. The, the hypocrisy it's worse than hypocrisy. is, is when the right weighs in. If I may finish one second. Jeff, go ahead again. If I may just finish one second. You'll have the GOP is, judges saying, don't hire from Yale Law School, even though Samuel Alito, Brett Kavanaugh, and, and others are the most conservative justices are from Yale Law School. You have boycotts that Greg Abbott wants to boycott BlackRock. You have Brian Kemp wants to boycott Coke, Delta, and UPS. Uh, DeSantis wants to boycott Disney. Uh, Net, Jeff, you know, that political Netflix. Uh, Donald Trump <laughs> wants to boycott uh, Comcast and Ted Cruz boycott Nike. I mean, come on. The cancel culture on the right is the problem here, intervening with corporate decision making. These companies are making decisions based on where their strategic risks are. And, and China is very different than Russia. Saudi Arabia right now will probably see a pullback in defense contractors because Ro, Congressman Ro Khanna and, and Senator uh, Blumenthal and I have, have been working on taking a look at crazy deals that we've done on the arms front with somebody who turns out not to be an ally. So, so Jeff, w- w- notwithstanding the critique of GOP, and I, I decry cancel culture wherever it comes from. I wrote a whole book most recently in the last month about exactly decrying that have you on the right Governor as well as on the left. For, for attacking Disney? Look, I don't, I don't think that companies should be, I don't think cancel culture is best fought with cancel culture. To quote from my most recent book, you don't fight fire with fire, you best fight Have it with water. Have you attacked President but, Trump for, for, con, for, for, for criticizing and calling for a boycott against Comcast? I so, haven't so, seen it. So Jeff, if this is a cross-examination of me, you can read my latest book. I have an entire chapter entitled Conservative Victimhood. Take a look at it. But let's talk about the issue of China because this is actually the more important issue. All right, you get Intel who is in BlackRock's climate focus universe, the focus universe of companies that are supposed to actually take action on climate change, yet they don't say a peep about the actual risks and opportunities posed by China's pending invasion of Taiwan. And this is the point I was trying to make earlier. This is not just about hypocrisy. We don't hypocrisy. know what China's this gonna is, do about Jeff, Taiwan. If I may. Jeff, if I may. We don't, we Jeff, don't judge This is not just about I warned you, things were gonna get lively. Maybe we'll just fast forward through this. The point I was trying to make earlier was that if this was just about hypocrisy, it wouldn't worth worth be commenting on because companies are hypocritical about many things. 
The point I'm making is this is part of China's strategy, where when companies repeatedly criticize the U.S. without criticizing China, that creates a false moral equivalence between the two countries, and that erodes our greatest geopolitical asset of all, which I will remind you is not our nuclear arsenal. It is our moral standing on the global stage. And if you want evidence of that, listen to what Xi Jinping says when he's pressed by the U.N. on the Uyghur human rights crisis. The first thing he says is that Black Lives Matter shows the U.S. is no better. Their top diplomat, Yang Jiechi, came to Alaska. Alaska, lectured Tony Blinken a year and a half ago, saying that China wants to see the U.S. do better on human rights and that China wants to see the U.S. stop slaughtering, his words, slaughtering black Americans. This would be laughable if it it's weren't for the fact that our companies- point. In fairness, it's an interesting point. Jeff, what do you make of it? The, the, what we make of it is that when it comes to Xinjiang province, all the apparel makers have pulled out. They're not able to sell that beautiful fine cotton because of the oppression of the Uyghurs. China has been has suffered for that, and companies have, have acted appropriately. If China is uh, invades Taiwan, then you'll see that we'll respond the way we did with Russia. Uh, we should also point out that we do have embedded relations with Russia that are much deeper with China than we do with Russia. Russia is like a, a vassal colony in a mercantile system. Jeff, speak to his... To the complaint or, or the, the argument that, that Vivek has just made is actually about this moral equivalency creating a moral conundrum for the U.S. in terms of its own standing. What do you think of that? No, it's not absolutism. They pick and choose their battles. You know, uh, it's Andrew, as you know, a, a lot of folks in Vivek camps love to, in a cult-like figure, worship uh, uh, what Milton Friedman supposedly said in 1971. In that article, in paragraph 26, because these people cite it and never read it, he actually he says it's in the long run interest of the shareholders for corporations to address what he called the social amenities, community impact, and be a responsible employer. That's what Milton Friedman says if they actually read the article. There's no gap here, is that companies have to pick and choose where the issues matter. And, and, and right now, China, you can't condemn them for attacking Taiwan if they haven't, if they act as Russia did. Okay, Vivek, what do you make of the idea that actually you get to pick and choose? And in fact, one of the things that happens on this show and maybe in business, we're all looking for a model, some kind of framework so that everything is consistent. And maybe we should just, just lean into the idea that actually the world is idiosyncratic and you take on the issues that you can and you don't for the ones you can't. So look, I, I think, think that's right. Is General Motors doesn't make every car. Position. Tesla hold on, make hold every on. Car. Jeff, hang on. Vivek? Yeah, so look, I think I think you could take one of two consistent positions, either of which would be better than the inconsistent world we're in now. One consistent position is the company should engage on all social issues from January 6th to Russia, to racial injustice, to climate change, as I've heard Jeff but advocate Vivek, for. Well, I, I'm the suggesting other, to you, if the world yeah. is idiosyncratic, and it is, then maybe there mm -hmm. is no model, that maybe you, you do it where you can and you, you don't where you can't. So that's look, the, I think that's the idea, is judgment. That's so why we have managers there for judgment. We, we just have a computer program. It was simple dichotomous, do all or do nothing. We don't do that in financial markets, product markets, labor markets. Why would we do it on social impact? You want to know why? Part of the social you want to know why? Because the answer, the, the answer that Jeff gave relating to companies pulling out of Shenzhen, here's the detail he left out. That was because the U.S. government passed a new statute that prevented actual the Forced Labor Act That in was China. 2021. So, They'd already pulled out this in 2019. Is this is...
part of the reason the answer to your question, Andrew, why, is it crowds out democratic action on geopolitical issues. When companies become the self-appointed arbiters of international justice, instead of our geopolitics and our political geopolitical policy being passed through the front door, that actually sucks the air out of even the geopolitical power the United States is able to exercise. So should something be done about China? My opinion is yes. This is the job of US policymakers. Yet when you delegate that authority to companies, whether that's in Russia or whether that's for social injustice here at home or in China, that actually puts it in the hands of a party who cannot be trusted to actually consistently do the right thing. And that is when, why, when multinational companies are asked by the CCP to jump, the question they ask is how right. high. That weakens the United States. And by the way, one of the best arguments for ESG is that it's about looking after long run investment risk for shareholders. Well, when you take a look at, for example, the semiconductor industry, well, the fact that the largest engaged ESG shareholders in the world will push them on climate change to board diversity without saying a peep about the actual risk and opportunity that those right. companies face, which is the impending invasion of Taiwan, tells you everything you need to know about the conflicts okay. of interest that govern our capital markets. Vivek, gentlemen, I'm going to give uh, Jeff the last word, but Jeff, and this is hard uh, for all of us, I know, 30 seconds because we're up against a hard break. Okay, thanks. Uh, there is... Uh the impending attack on Taiwan, we haven't seen it happen. You don't punish somebody for a thought they have or a statement they utter. If they attack Taiwan, we would respond differently, but they haven't. Uh, what we see is you just, uh, before the break, take a look at a, a, a Gallup poll uh, that suggests that many people don't want CEOs to engage. In fact, the Edelman Trust barometer says that some 84% of the public wants CEOs to engage. And the, and the Edelman Trust barometer is the yardstick. For 22 years, we've seen this trend that the, the public, and this is like 34 countries, including the U.S., that increasingly CEOs are ascendant, whereas government figures, the, the media, right. academia, even the clergy, state level, and, and federal officials have fallen in terms of trust, but people are looking to the CEOs. That's what the data says over Jeff, 22 we're, years. We're getting the hook. 38,000 I got to thank you, Jeff. I got to thank you, Vivek, for a fabulous discussion and debate. Lots of ideas. I don't think we've settled it. I'm sure we'll do this again. And I uh, want to thank you again. And that's Squawk Pod for today. On our rundown tomorrow, Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon, as the firm is reportedly undertaking a sweeping overhaul of the business, life inside the investment bank, the markets, the chance of recession, and so much more with Solomon tomorrow. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the best of Squawk Box, interviews, analysis, fun, directly in your ears. Please follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.